0: chapter seven part one of the life story of a russian exile by marie sukloff translated by gregory yaros this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter seven part one section one my new life so graciously granted to me by the Tsar soon began i was summoned to the office and the governor asked me to sign a paper which stated that my death sentence had been commuted to penal servitude for life then he announced to me that i should be put in fetters the solemn face with which he made this announcement appeared ridiculous to me what meaning could fetters have to me now the doctor for form's sake examined me and said that i was well fit nearly all the handcuffs and leg fetters there could be found in the enormous prison were brought into the office and tried on me, but all proved too large and fell off. They were made for men, and feminine wrists and ankles did not measure up to their standard. Finally the governor found a way out of this exasperating difficulty. A blacksmith was called, my wrists and ankles were measured, and on the following morning new fetters were ready. Whether by mistake or intentionally, I don't know, but they were made so tight that on the second day my hands began to swell this caused me excruciating pain i tried my best to conceal this circumstance from the governor as i was sure that the fetters had been put on me at his personal wish and my suffering would only gladden him on january twenty seventh i was taken to the railroad station and put on a train for moscow on the road the soldiers of the convoy there were four of them risking their own liberty took off my handcuffs in the same car in a separate compartment sat the officer in charge he could come in any minute and see that my handcuffs were off i asked the soldiers to put them back on me but they would not hear of it and only a short distance from moscow they handcuffed me again when i was brought into the office of the moscow forwarding prison butyrki the governor was greatly surprised to see me in fetters he exchanged significant glances with the secretary and whispered something to him he ordered to place me in a solitary cell three days later the fetters were taken off after seventeen days of pain and humiliation soon after my arrival there were brought to Butirki five other young women revolutionists alexandra ismailovitch the daughter of a general who had not yet returned from the battlefields of manchuria she had attempted the life of the minst chief of police during the jewish pogrom in that city for this she was sentenced to death which was commuted to a life term at hard labour her sister yekaterina shot at admiral chuknin at sebastopol after his summary execution of soldiers and sailors of the black sea fleet and slightly wounded him she was shot without trial immediately after the attempt in the yard of chuknin's residence and the admiral personally gave the command to fire End Note: anastasia bizenko a schoolteacher who shot general sakharov at saratov one of the five generals personally sent by the tsar to suppress the peasant revolt she was sentenced to death which was commuted to a life term at hard labor note she said at her trial general sakharov suppressed the peasants and i suppressed him End note. lydia yezerskaya the wife of the mayor of the city of mohilov who attempted the life of the mohilov governor klingenberg for his active part in the jewish pogrom in that city she was sentenced to thirteen years at hard labor rebecca filka a dressmaker who was arrested at odessa in charge of a bomb factory and sentenced to ten years at hard labor and lastly marie spiridonova a schoolteacher who shot governor Luzhenovsky of Tambov when he was returning with his cossacks from a punitive expedition to the villages she was sentenced to death which was commuted to a life term at hard labour the forwarding prison was terribly congested in cells which were built for twenty-five were seventy-five and even a hundred people every day two hundred or three hundred politicals were sent away to different parts of siberia but as many if not more were daily brought to butyrki it seemed as if all russia were being exiled but notwithstanding that the revolution was crushed the prisoners so deeply believed in the speedy liberation of russia that they went to hard labour and exile with a light heart you may laugh at your life sentence comrades shouted to us through the window bars You will not have stayed there long when a free nation will carry you in their arms back to free russia in the middle of june at night the governor of the prison came into my cell and told me to get ready for the journey a few minutes later i learned through the window that all the six of us women hard-labour convicts were to be transported somewhere about twelve o'clock we were led to the office and told that we should be sent to akatui there in this office i first met marie spiridonova she looked so young and frail she was only twenty and her beautiful face was so pale that i thought she would not live long she tried to smile to us but her eyes remained sad all the six of us were conveyed to the railroad station in a closed carriage and put in a separate car attached to the siberian express accompanied by twelve soldiers and an officer we left moscow for the distant prison of akatui section 2 when we were sent to siberia the revolutionary movement there had not yet been crushed by the government the krasnoyarsk republic which had lasted about 40 days was still fresh in the memory of the people the revolutionary committees in the various cities we had to pass learned in some way about our coming and organized demonstrations in our honor a particularly striking demonstration occurred at omsk the omsk workingmen knew from their railroad comrades the day and hour of our arrival there and impatiently waited for us at the station when this reached the ears of the local authorities they met our train at some distance from the city uncoupled our car and put it on a side track evidently hoping to take us through omsk at night but someone on the train divulged their trick to the people at the station A number of working men seized a locomotive and started out to look for us followed by a crowd of several thousand people on foot our car was sidetracked about five o'clock in the morning and at noon the working men located us when the officer in charge of our convoy saw the crowd approaching he showed us a paper he received at our departure from moscow it instructed him to shoot us at the least attempt to escape or to be released by a mob the soldiers were in a state of terror they had become our friends during the long journey from moscow and did not feel capable of executing such an order we will rather die ourselves than shoot you they said to us the workingmen seized our car fastened it to their locomotive and brought us to omsk thousands of people met our approach with shouts of delight rich women took off their jewelry and threw it in our windows all loudly demanded our appearance on the platform For a moment the situation was rather critical. The people were getting more and more insistent, and threatened to take us out by force. In the meantime, Cossacks and soldiers were surrounding the crowd. The inevitable tragedy, with all its dreadful consequences, rose before us. We began to implore the officer to let us out on the platform for just a second, that we might induce the crowd to disperse fortunately the officer seeing that the affair was assuming a very serious aspect permitted us to go out and address the crowd as soon as we appeared on the platform all became quiet we asked the people not to attempt our release as we did not wish to witness any bloodshed we told them we did not believe we should stay long at hard labour and they finally consented to let us proceed on our way for many miles the crowd followed after our train waving red flags and singing revolutionary songs peasants left their work in the field and ran to see the unusual sight they threw flowers at us and soon our car was covered with them it was late in the evening when the last shouts of farewell died away in the distance similar demonstrations were repeated at Krasnoyarsk, irkutsk and other places at last we reached stratinsk from there we had to proceed by etape it took us nine days to cover the distance of a hundred thirty miles and in the middle of july nineteen o six we reached our destination section three the akatui prison is located in the little village of akatui in the transbaikal near the mongolian border it is famous in the history of the revolutionary movement in russia yet the decembrists were confined in it chained to wheelbarrows they worked in the mines guarded by soldiers with fixed bayonets one of them lunin died there a hard labour convict and his lonely grave is the only evidence of generations of political prisoners who were slowly tortured there to death by the russian czars the polish insurgents of eighteen sixty three were sent there the prison had been abandoned but again rebuilt in eighteen eighty nine and has since held within its dreary walls a great number of political offenders when we were brought to Akatui, the regime there was not very strict the wave of reaction which swept russia soon after the october manifesto had not yet reached this godforsaken place and the local administration still believed that a new political era had dawned in russia we were treated fairly well we were permitted to wear our own clothing to receive books and enjoyed similar little privileges when out for the daily walk we freely conversed with other prisoners and argued about affairs in faraway russia but month passed after month and news from there reached us less and less frequently and what did reach us was far from hopeful the country was being crushed by the triumphant reaction and the chains of autocracy were becoming heavier and heavier Our prison regime grew worse and worse until by the end of 1906 we were deprived of all the privileges and treated like ordinary hard-labour convicts our position in this living grave was intolerable we were young and the fire of struggle was still burning in their breasts we no longer hoped for the speedy liberation of russia and could not reconcile ourselves to a life of idleness and degradation and we began to cast about for a way to escape A group of comrades commenced to dig a tunnel the digging had continued for over a month and the outer wall had already been reached when the authorities discovered it within several months five tunnels were begun and each time it was discovered when near completion in the end we had to give up the thought of gaining freedom in this way seeing that escape in a body was impossible the group of socialist revolutionists headed by Grigory Gershuni decided to find a way to escape singly one of the organizers of the fighting league he was accused of having planned the assassination of minister Sipyagin governor Bogdanovich of Ufa and the attempt on governor Obolensky of Kharkov and sentenced to death which was commuted to penal servitude for life he was brought to Akatui from the fortress of in nineteen o six, gershuni as the more useful and capable member of our party was chosen to go first for many years it was the custom among the prisoners at akatui to make sauerkraut for the winter the cabbage was brought into the prison the convicts cleaned and cut it after which it was put in a barrel and taken to the cellar outside the prison gate it occurred to gershuni to escape in this barrel and we set about executing the plan we punched two little holes in the bottom and inserted long pieces of thin rubber pipe these gershuni was to hold in his mouth and they were his only source of air he sat down in the barrel bending almost double as it was not large enough for such a tall stout man on his head we laid a metallic plate to protect it from the bayonet of the sentry at the gate who always thrust it into the barrel to ascertain that no contraband was being taken out of the prison we stretched a cloth over him and nailed it to the walls of the barrel on the top we threw cabbage and fastened the cover at eleven o'clock in the morning everything was ready the comrades who had to cart the barrel to the cellar announced to the head-keeper that the cabbage was done and he gave the order to open the gate breathless we stood and watched how the sentry stuck his bayonet into the barrel in which our most respected and beloved comrade lay at last it was without the gate and the comrades with the help of the soldiers lowered it into the cellar a tunnel leading into an open field had already been dug from there and horses were waiting in the forest near by to conceal his absence for a day or two and thus give him an opportunity of getting away as far as possible from akatui we made a dummy dressed in gershuni's clothes and put it on his cot its head was made of holland cheese specially imported from Chita, and painted by one of our comrades, an artist. When the keepers came in the evening to count the prisoners, a comrade spoke to the dummy, and they went away satisfied that Gershuni was in his place. When the keepers came into our cell and we saw their calm faces, we knew that everything was well. Our joy was indescribable. We already pictured to ourselves the triumph of the party, and warmly discussed the question where Gershuni would be by the morning count but scarcely an hour had passed when we heard a noise in the yard a number of keepers ran excitedly into our cell and began to look under the beds we understood that some of the prisoners must have reported gershuni's absence as the authorities could not have found it out themselves before the morning count in great trepidation we awaited gershuni's capture but as the days passed our fears were set at rest we knew that if he had not been caught on the first day of his escape the authorities had small chances of getting him he possessed wit and courage and had money enough to pay his way to the nearest seaport and cross to japan gershuni's escape led to still further restrictions but as it was impossible to maintain a severe discipline in the overcrowded prison it was built for eighty but there were one hundred fifty the authorities transferred fifty prisoners to gorni zerentui about one hundred twenty eight miles away we were the only women in Akatui. we were sent here because in the whole nerchinsk mining district there was not a decent prison for women but in order to subject us to the full rigours of the hard labour regime the higher administration decided to remove us from Akatui. the government again felt its power over the bleeding country and the first on whom it avenged itself were its political captives in february nineteen o seven the chief of katorga metus telegraphed to the governor of the akatui prison zubkovsky that the women politicals must be immediately transferred to the maltsov prison about one hundred thirty miles from akatui marie spiridanova who had not yet recovered from the effects of the tortures to which she was subjected at the time of her arrest was not well i too was sick having contracted inflammation of the lungs For us to undertake a midwinter journey over the frozen mountains of akatui was to court death the etapes which were built in the thirties of last century were in ruins and to spend a night in them was just like sleeping in the street we knew it all but it was utterly useless to struggle against the decision there within the walls of the dreary prison thousands of miles away from russia they could do with us whatever they chose it must be noted here that had the authorities waited another month our lives would not have been put to such a risk in march the frosts are not so severe and there happens even warm days when the comrades learned the intention of the administration to transfer us immediately their indignation knew no bounds even the governor and the prison doctor were unwilling to send us zubkowski telegraphed to metus that the two of us were sick and that the doctor thought our lives would be endangered if we should have to travel by étape at this time of the year several days later on february twelfth the governor ordered four of us bitzenko ismailovitch yezerskaya and fialka to get ready with a heavy heart we bade them good-bye it was a sad parting as we did not expect to see them any more alone in our deserted cell we lay thinking of our friends it was late at night but we did not sleep spiridonova felt very bad after the day's excitement soon she began to toss about and talk in a delirium and i went over to her cot with great difficulty i succeeded in rousing her dear dear look at me there is nobody here but myself she sat up on her cot and embraced me do not sleep my dear do not sleep i begged her fearing that the terrible fit would again seize her if she should fall asleep in a close embrace clinging to each other we sat in silence seized with the consciousness of our utter loneliness and defencelessness the prison clock struck two oh how long it is yet till dawn sighed marie suddenly she began to listen do you hear she asked me no i don't hear anything it is the wind roaring in the mountains I tried to quiet her but soon footsteps were heard outside and our gate was opened oh they are coming i cried involuntarily end of chapter seven part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine